Right, good morning, everybody. That was a, uh, a little bit of an interlude there, wasn't it, at the beginning? Uh, this is me getting used to uh, technology at the moment, okay? So you have to just bear with me on that. Now, what are we going to do today? Well, we're just carrying on in the series. You may recall uh, the book, which many of you may have bought, the um, Terry Virgo book, uh, which talks about, um, uh, well, this morning we're going to be talking about Jesus does and says the strangest things. So, over the last few weeks, we've been unlocking some of the truths in the book of John, chapter 2, where Jesus is found uh, at a wedding celebration. Now, the wine is running out, and Jesus performs his first miracle, turning water into wine and demonstrating the start of his mission on the earth. Now, the purpose of including this account in the Bible is found in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, which says this. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, uh, as I tried to say at the beginning, some of you have been uh, reading this book, which is Terry Virgo's book, which says, Life Tastes Better. That's what I was trying to find a minute ago <laughs> when I was fumbling about here. Now, we'd encourage you to push this book. It's £1.50, all right? But if you can't afford that, that's fine. We'd sooner you had the book for nothing and read it, okay? It's really just a straightforward 35-page short pages as well, which should take you 20 minutes. We're looking at the possibility uh, of whether we might be uh, using this book as part of a library uh, that we could give to someone who is interested in exploring the Christian faith. So that's that book. You can get that on the back um, of the church uh, over there on the table. And let's recap over the last couple of weeks. Okay, in week one, Tim talked about the day the wine ran out. And the emphasis here was that Jesus can help when we are running out, running out of answers, running out of hope, running out of options. We might look okay on the surface, but underneath there's something going on which is a crisis for us. There's a crisis looming. And that may be your experience right now. You may be in a situation where a crisis is looming, or you may be going through a crisis. In week two, Paul talked about the real-life Jesus. The real-life Jesus is not always our image of who we see Jesus as. He's not religious, but he's a Jesus living amongst the people, just as comfortable in a party as he is in a synagogue. Now, the context is Jesus at a wedding party, and Paul touched on the covenant of marriage for which God has the intellectual property rights. Hope you got that from last week. Now, this is countercultural, and Paul talked about this. In our highly sexualized society where commitment is cheap, Jesus is wholly committed to his people under a lasting covenant. And that was the message which came out of last week. Now this week, we are going to look at Jesus says the strangest things. Very puzzled looking baby there, as you can see. In John chapter 2 and verse 4, uh, Jesus addresses his mother in what we would consider in our culture today to be quite rude and disrespectful. 
However, in the original language uh, and in that culture, Mary would have interpreted Jesus' words slightly differently. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 3. It says, and when the wine was all gone, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, this is one of those statements which doesn't translate well into English from the Greek the phrase in Greek was used to ask of the connection between two people. So the, ke- the question could be translated as, what business do we have with each other? What business do we have with each other? Uh, what does this have to do with me? What, what, what's, you know, there's a problem here, what's this got to do with me? Or why do you involve me? So whilst this is not a rude statement because the word woman would have been used... It does look, nevertheless, that Jesus is making a very big statement himself, and there is a veiled rebuke here. He is actually telling his mother off. Because Jesus is expressing now the fact that he is independent of his mother. He is the Son of God, and he will not be influenced by human advice or manipulated from the will of the Father. Now, you know what it's like. Everybody here, growing up in your parents' house. And you grow up and all your life they're looking after you and giving you advice. And sometimes when you get older, it's a bit hard. The parents stop giving you advice because they still keep giving you advice. And because they've walked the path and done the stuff. and But you know, as you get older, the advice gets a little bit annoying. Do you know that? It does, doesn't it? It gets a bit annoying. But here was a different situation. As eager as Mary was to see Jesus do a miracle, she had no right to determine the time or the manner in which Jesus publicly revealed his glory. Jesus concludes his statement to Mary with, my hour has not yet come. Now what does this mean? Well, the reference to his hour or time means that Jesus was constantly working from a divine timetable. He was not working from anybody else's timetable. He was now working in his ministry from God's timetable. So he wasn't going to reveal his power sooner than the Father had intended him to. Jesus was starting his mission. The mission to save us from our sins and to see the kingdom of God established on the earth. But he also had 30 years of family life with his mother, his brothers and his friends. And there is now this conflict of their expectation of him and his divine purpose. He is now not brother or sister or son. He is their God and he is their Savior. Now, there's some big lessons for us here uh, this morning. Jesus is not at our beck and call. We often come to Jesus like this. We might say, Jesus, I've got some problems in my leaf, uh, in my leaf, in my life. Please, can you sort them out for me according to my requirements so that I can end up as comfortable as possible? 
That is absolutely where we're coming from. We want a comfortable life. And we want to go to God when we have a crisis. We want Jesus to sort it out, God to sort it out for us, so that we can go back to our comfortable life. But Jesus has come to give us life and life abundantly, but not according to our agenda. Jesus says, that's not the way that I am. That's not the way things are. Acknowledging his authority to be in charge unlocks the door for us to enter into a new experience where he can do amazing things for us. But we all know that we are self-obsessed. Our whole culture is about self. Let's just hear some of the other strange things which Jesus said. If anyone comes to me, this is from the Amplified Version, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them, in comparison with its attitude towards God, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Whoever does not carry his own cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow after me, cannot be my disciple. Jesus says the strangest things, doesn't he? But Jesus always also says things which are tough. He also says this in Matthew 16, 24 to 26. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, I love Mark Twain's quote, which says this. He says, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And I do understand. I understand what that means. But it is a challenge for me. And it's a challenge for you. It's a challenge for all of us this morning. Returning just to John chapter 2 at the wedding, how does Jesus help in this situation? He helps by taking over. He doesn't need anyone's help or advice, but what he does require is a submission to his plan. The crisis is that, is, the crisis is that they're running out of wine. But look at the response from Jesus. Jesus doesn't provide just a few more bottles to get by, does he? He produces gallons of wine, gallons and gallons, six stone water jars, each containing 80 to 120 litres, totally out of proportion to the need. And that is God's heart this morning, which is demonstrated over and over throughout the scripture. He is not the God of the low interest rate. You and I would be really pleased today to get 10% on our money, wouldn't we? You imagine, next year you put £10 in the bank and you get £11. Way! That's good, isn't it? But God does not work with our maths. He's 
not the God of the low interest rate. When he provides, he is the God of the 30, 60, and 100 times. Put 10 pounds in the bank, and you'll get 300 pounds, 600 pounds, or 1,000 pounds. That is the maths of the kingdom. And that is why we have to give it to Jesus to take over and not try and stumble through and do it ourselves. When Jesus provides, it's neverly, never miserly. It's like it says in Luke 6, 38, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together to get it all down. And what else does it say? And running over. In other words, I've pressed it down, I've shaken it together, and it's still running over. That is God's heart for you this morning. Pressed down, shaken together, and still running over. And that's not all either. The quality, the quality of the wine that he produced was better than what they had started with in the first place. So get the idea that when we submit to Christ and let him do the work, we can rely on him to deliver the most and the best. The most and the best. Our dilemma is this, this morning. We have to relinquish control and trust in order to receive the blessing. We have to relinquish control and trust in order to receive the blessing. Now, I was looking for an example to put in here to demonstrate what that might look like. And I was struggling a bit until 4.30 this morning. <laughs> At 4.30 this morning, our cat got up on our windowsill Windows open, he goes out of the window, walks along the windowsill outside. She was clearly going where no cat had gone before. <laughs> this was a step of faith for our cat. Sadly, three seconds later, she lost a footing, fell onto our conservatory roof with a light thud, which is two feet below. And there was a lot of scrabbling about as she slid down the roof to the gutter below. So Sharon and I, Sharon and I got up and Sharon looked out the window and tried to beckon the cat up the roof. But the roof was wet that time of the morning with the dew and, and the condensation or whatever. Is. And so as we beckoned the cat up, she'd come so far Scrabbling up like this, you know what it's like, holding on and then going back down again, okay? Well, I've got to say, this was quite entertaining. I, I, <laughs> for me, it was quite entertaining, but you could clearly see that our cat was now struggling and in distress because she couldn't get up to be rescued. And all, even when she went down, every time she went down to the gutter, I might say at some speed... And she hit the gutter. We didn't know whether she was going to disappear over the gutter, to which was the biggest fall below. She was trapped and quite distressed. What was required was a daring rescue. So Sharon got up. <laughs> we both got up, okay. We went down at 4.30 this morning and we attempted to rescue the cat from the roof. Now, that's all very well. We had some steps. 
Didn't think a ladder was necessary in this situation. We had some steps. Sharon held the steps while I climbed, and I reached up as far as I could, and the cat tried to get away from me like she normally does, but slid all the way back down to the gutter again so that I could get hold of her. Now, I cupped my hand and my forearm under her, and I lifted her above my head, and I am 100% confident that she was going to get to the ground because I knew my grip, and I knew exactly what it felt like to pick that cat up. I knew what balance it needed to have. But you know what's going to happen, don't you? The cat never thought about that, okay? It wasn't the kind of balance that he was comfortable with. And he didn't like being above my head, held by one hand. I couldn't bring the other hand up because I had to hold on to the conservatory roof. So as he came down, he started to struggle. And then, of course, you've got this. And suddenly, I'm not so confident that I'm going to get him down. And of course, what does he do? He needs traction. So what does he do? He puts his claws in for traction into my forearm. And then I decided, you know what? You can get off now. <laughs> and the cat was released the final eight feet to the garden. What happened when she reached the ground? She scurried off in a bit of a mood. Sharon and I went to try and coax and beckon her back, but she wasn't having any of that, and she disappeared. The truth is that she was being rescued. We had her best interests at heart. The reality is that she didn't trust me and created the problem in the struggle that ensued. Isn't that just like us? And afterwards, we scurry off in shame and we build a barrier to keep God out. Folks, we know the truth, and it is the truth that will set us free to be in this freedom. Give your heart to Christ and open up the possibilities he has for you. Take time to acknowledge him at the start of every day. Think about the, this prayer as a practical starting point for this week. Tomorrow morning when you get up for work or for whatever your life might be, I would encourage you with this prayer. I am made in your image and I represent your kingdom on the earth right now. That's you and me. In my dealings today, guide me according to your will. Give me courage for every conversation and lead me for your glory. Help me to watch for the opportunity in the mundane and to be ready to give a good account with an enthusiastic smile on my face. Nobody likes a miserable person. And if your faith is so good when you talk about it, you should have a smile on your face. It's so important. So the second part of this encounter with Mary and Jesus is what Mary says to the servants. She says, whatever he says to you, do it. Now when we ask Christ into our lives, we became servants of his. When we are servants, there are a number of things that we must understand. Slaves are owned by their master. 
As Paul says to the believers in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, a very high price. We are not masters of our fate. We were bought with a price. And so we belong to the one who has paid that price. We are exclusively owned by God. Exclusive ownership implies complete submission. If we belong to Christ, if he owns us, then the rule of our lives is not our will, but his will, the master's will. Singular devotion. No slave concerned himself with obeying other masters. His chief concern was carrying out the will of the one to whom he belonged. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, Jesus said that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen to what George Muller, the very famous 19th century evangelist, wrote about this. He said, There was a day when I died. I utterly died. I died to George Muller and his opinions, his preferences, his tastes and his will. I died to the world, its approval or its censure. I died to the approval or blame of even my brothers and friends. And since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's George Muller. The slave is also marked by a total dependence. He was completely dependent on his master for the provision of basic necessities of life. And because he is a loving, kind master, he promises to meet all our needs. He says, not out of his riches, but according to his riches. This generosity. So that we are free to serve him unhindered. Also, we are personally accountable to the master. The slave was personally accountable. And in the same way, Christ is the one to whom we will answer and the one to whom we will give an account. In the marriage in Cana, the servants didn't argue. They just obeyed. Can you imagine if they had have argued? God is not looking for people to argue with him. He's looking for people to to obey and there's a great lesson here for I, I, I've got some despising of our 21st century western culture church <coughs> the church has a great commission and purpose to which we must all submit <coughs> it's never about us it's always about the kingdom of God we are encouraged in the word of God to seek after an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is no longer walking upon the earth. He's at the right hand of God the Father. But the Holy Spirit is here. And the presence of God is here, therefore, in the form of the Holy Spirit who wants to empower you for service. Jesus is responsible for building his church, not me and you. Our job is to obey him and be true to our gift and our calling. We are servants of a great God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think this morning. Let's take a look at the Vine Church for a moment. Nobody in this room got up this morning and said, I want church to be rubbish today. I don't want to see people saved I don't want there to be healing and miracles. I want everyone to be miserable and the church to stay like it is. 
If you got up this morning with that attitude in your heart, then let me introduce you to the left foot of fellowship. Because that's not where we want to be. I can't speak for you, but I want to see people come to Jesus. I want to see lives changed. And I want to see many people added to this church. New Christians, not transfer growth from other churches, disaffected people that have moved. I want to see new Christians going on with God. I want to see people moved by the Holy Spirit, affected by the demonstration of God's power through the gifts. I want to see people released from themselves and submitted to Jesus and his kingdom. And a whole lot more I want to see as well, because I'm sure you guys are thinking, oh yeah, but don't forget about that and that. And, and I know there's lots of things we'd like to see. I want to see a church filled with young people, families, middle-aged people and elderly people. I want to see everybody because everybody is important to God. And I want us all to be working together as a testimony to the glory of God. Now our enemy wants to see none of that, doesn't want to see any of that, and will oppose us on every front. Therefore, this morning, let us determine to submit to God and resist the enemy so that he has no choice but to flee from us. I always remember an old pastor say to me, I refuse to give the enemy the satisfaction of seeing me despondent. I refuse to give the enemy the satisfaction of seeing me despondent. Jesus has done so much for us, has he not? He is our King, our Saviour and our Lord. So, how are we going to respond to that this morning? For people who profess to be Christians here today, we all have a common purpose, and that is to serve God wholeheartedly. The question is, are we? Are you? Am I? Have we allowed the enemy to creep in and take our focus away from our key objective, serving the master? Do we treat Jesus as a kind of genie to come and sort out problems according to our agenda? Have we become like that? He is much more than that. We are beholden to him this morning. Jesus has to take over if we are to be effective. He has to come and take over. We are to become servants of his. Think of the cat story. You know, God has got our best interests at heart, hasn't he? His daring rescue was to send his son Jesus to the cross to die in order that you and I might live. That was his daring rescue. If you're not a Christian here but are interested in finding out more, then please talk to myself or Tim or one of the other guys here today. Because when Jesus gets involved, you get the most and the best. You get the most and the best. When we struggle like the cat... We create our own difficulties. And our heart and God's heart for you this morning is, how should you respond? You know, there's going to be people at the back who would love to pray for you. If you're in a crisis and you say, Lord, I need you in this crisis right now. What is it that you want from me? 
Let's choose to submit our lives to Jesus today. Allow him to do the work, to provide the focus, so that Jesus might have our lives, and as a result of that, we may have life in all its fullness. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? The reality is, no, it's not. It's hard. When you give your life to Christ, it's hard. But if we want the life that Jesus wants to give to us, then it's always worth it. It's always worth it. As I hand back to uh, Tim this morning, let's just pray, shall we? Our Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus, who has saved us from our sins and made us worthy to approach you as God the Father. We pray, Lord God, that we would be more like the men and women that you want us to be, that we would seek after what you want, not what we want. Help us with our own agendas. Help us, Lord God, when sometimes comfort is better. Help us, Lord God, when we face crises and we sometimes don't know the circumstance, but let us be aware that you are always ready to rescue us, but that we are to relax in your arms so that you may take us from the roof, as it were, down to safety. Help us not to struggle, but Lord, I pray for each one here today. As your Holy Spirit has been here during the worship, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, come right now, and I pray you'd reveal in our hearts what it is that we're lacking. Help us to have the courage to get out onto the windowsill. If we fall, that's okay, because, Lord, you are always there to rescue us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.